Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Lost Treasures, the podcast. That's right, I'm John Scheel. I'm Adam Means. And we're back to discuss all sorts of things, uh, lost treasure hunting, right? Oh, yeah. So, Adam, uh, I just read something in the news just the other day, mm-hmm. and um, you and I had some discussions about this. Uh, the, the the whole hobby of metal detecting has kind of sprung up all over the place. And uh, one really fascinating story, a man who got into it just for the sake of having a hobby. You know, we all need uh, exercise in our lives. Well, he decided that his exercise was going to be getting up off the couch and uh, walking around with a metal detector. Uh, nice. Yeah. So Sounds familiar, John. 51-year-old Erland Bore on the southern island of Renesoy. I don't know how to pronounce that. So Sounds close. Listen to this. Listen, <laughs> listen really closely. This is how you say this in Norwegian. Renesoy. Yeah, if you got that. Yeah, we'll, we'll play that again one more time. Yeah, that's how you say that. So, a Norwegian man in that town, near the city of Stavanger, or Stavanger, he had bought, uh, let's see, Bore bought his first metal detector just to have a hobby, and because his doctor ordered him to get out of the house and stop sitting on the couch. Uh, Lots of Americans uh, could probably follow this gentleman's example. But in August, he started walking around the mountainous island that he lives on with his metal detector, and uh, he found some scrap at first, but then later he discovered that was something that was, in his words, completely unreal. A treasure weighing a little more than 100 grams, and in Norwegian law... Uh, objects before 1537 and coal, coins older than 1650 are considered state property and must be handed in. Yep. So what did he find? He found, turned out to be nine pendants, three rings, and ten gold pearls. And uh, they were jewelry that looks like they're worn approximately 1,500 years ago. And so uh, the university there... Um, don't know exactly which university, Archaeological Museum at the University of Stavanger said that to find so much gold at the same time is extremely unusual. Pretty cool. Yeah, unbelievable, though. Just uh, going around with his metal detector, and he finds stuff from around 500 AD, uh, so-called migration period in Norway, which uh, runs for about 100 years, and there were widespread migrations in Europe, and, and it's thought that these were part of a very showy necklace that had been found uh, there, made by skilled jewelers, worn by someone pretty high up in society, and uh, migrating across Norway, they dropped it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe it they happens were, all the time. Maybe they were robbed. <laughs> you never, never know. know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a pretty fantastic uh, find. I mean, yep. are, are things like this found every day, Adam? I mean... If you scroll through Instagram and you know exactly what you're, you know, looking for, I always just put in like metal detecting or whatever. You're gonna get so many different things that pop Speaking up. Speaking of Instagram, you should yes. all uh, click like on our Lost Treasures Instagram because we want to keep in touch with you. We want to hear about your lost treasures, and we also want to update you on some of Adam's treasure hunts, which we will do in a little while. But didn't you see something the other day? Yes, I did. Um, this was a a pretty cool story uh, down in Arkansas, actually. A uh, seven-year seven-year-old girl um, made a rare discovery at an Arkansas park. It was a two point nine five carat diamond, and I believe it was uh, might have been on her birthday also. Yes, or on her seventh birthday. 
And so, uh, happy she was birthday. Out. Yeah. Right. I mean, nice really present. <laughs> it's all downhill though. After that, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so that was the, uh, one of the second largest, I think found 2.95. And then in March this year, uh, 3.29 carat. And that was down at crater of diamond state park, which I believe is around a 36 acre park where you can go down and Look for diamonds all over the place. So when you sent that to me, I went and Googled it because I really wanted to know more about Crater of Diamond State Park. And it only costs $13 per adult, $6 per child, uh, with a service fee of about $1.30 to $1.50 per ticket to get in. So relatively speaking, we're talking under $15, under $8 to get in and go dig around and look. And I was looking at some of the images. Um, Obviously, we're seeing some of the things that have been found, but I mean... To be honest, it's kind of a nondescript, uh, looks like a farm. and yeah, It's um, pretty wide open. I've seen some pictures, too. It's pretty cool. Pretty amazing, though. I guess it used to be a diamond uh, diamond mine, and now it's... Um, State park. Yeah, it's just a, a place where folks can go and, and experience the joys of hunting for uh, treasure that's out there. And di- diamonds have been continuously discovered in the field since 1906, Yeah, which is uh, pretty incredible. Actually, in 1990, there was a, a graded perfect diamond. Uh, now, they named these diamonds. I don't know if everybody's, uh, our listeners would be familiar, but the perfect diamond that was found there in 1990 was called the Strawn-Wagner diamond. Nice. And uh, then there's the Uncle Sam found in 1924, which was 40 carats. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if it was that guy's birthday, but happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> so that is the largest diamond ever found in the United Impressive. States, which yeah. is... That's crazy. Yeah, truly, truly impressive. I think one thing that's cool, too, with a a lot of these, especially like metal detecting, after you get your metal detector, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do for very cheap as long as you're willing to travel. You know, it's not like, you know, you have to spend or drop a bunch of money to do this. You just got to have, you know, something that you're comfortable with and that works. Now, let me ask you this, because I know that you've got a lot of experience with this and I'm, I'm a newbie. So that's, that's what is great about our discussion here. So if I were to go out and get like an entry level metal mm-hmm. detector, how big would that be? And what, I mean, it's not huge, you know, it's something like three to four feet long. Some of them actually collapse oh, okay. and out. So it can uh, kind of fit to your size. I really, I think the biggest thing is just find something within your budget and then, you know, just start looking, start using it. So if, if it's a telescoping one, one that expands and contracts, uh, it, are there like wires in there that are going to... There's usually only one wire from the coil all the way up to the, the top part. So, you, you know, depending on what model you have, you could have a little LCD screen. I mean, there's like a, we discussed before, you know, you can get up to like some are 3500 some are $9,000 metal detectors. So you're making a huge investment, but that's not necessarily you know, what you have to get to get started. So what are we talking on entry level costs? 200 to $400, I bet. Really? You could get a good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon's got a bunch. Again, what are you, what do you, what is your end goal in this? Is it just for fun? I mean, like that Norway guy, you know, I don't know what his cost, but it couldn't have been too expensive. Yeah. Now, as far as, um, the ability to find stuff, the cost isn't necessarily the determining factor. It's, no. Mm-mm. Those are just add-ons that, yeah. that, that come with it. Maybe it could detect what kind of metal it is or yeah. maybe exclude some kinds of metals or right. some of those kinds so of there's features. A, the higher you get price-wise, the more like discriminatory it is. Now, know? are you going to put a link for an affiliate link on on our website for yes, uh, some I Amazon stuff? And I'm also looking out you know, for other sponsors for this because we will be doing that also. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I look forward to that. I know you've had some discussions with some folks and they're interested, yeah. but I did want to mention uh, that, you know, when we were talking about amateur, like just entry level stuff, I, I kind of was looking on the web and seeing, you know, what could you find with an amateur um, metal detector, like a, an entry level one. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to call it a- amateur. I want to call it entry level because right. it's, you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. But if you're just getting started with something like this and you're out, maybe you want to take it with you on vacation. Maybe you want to pack it in your van if you're you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 1989, an amateur treasure hunter in Mexico purchased an entry-level metal, metal detector uh, back at a, a radio shack, of all things. Of course. And uh, went out into the Sonoran Desert and found... Um, what did he find? He found... Some coins, a gold nugget, and nice. uh, looks like he found the largest gold nugget ever reco- ever recovered in the Western Hemisphere. It's called the Boot of Cortez. Nice. And originally, uh, the discoverer, he found it. He sold it to his boss for $30,000. This thing recently sold for $1.5 million. Wow. Impressive. Unbelievable. Doesn't right? take a lot. Yeah. Now, he, he was going in the Sonoran Desert where I guess there were some gold and silver mines back in the day. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and of course we talked about our Norwegian guy mm-hmm. um, who obviously during that period of migration, 1500 years ago, there were people of means that were traveling across Europe. So 1500 years ago in this country, probably not going to, not going to be too much in terms of uh serious uh gold or or hand wrought jewelry right maybe right. maybe mm-hmm. we might be looking at some other kinds of lost treasures like yes. we saw mm-hmm. at the uh, archaeological exhibit of Clough mm-hmm. uh, farms yes mm-hmm. yeah uh but that's not to say that you can't find some amazing stuff i mean that girl found a diamond that was naturally occurring I know. that's pretty cool unreal nice birthday yeah so if you were to go out today and you were to go metal detecting where would be like the first place you would decide to go to for me with, you know, checking in with all the laws and, you know, where you can actually metal detect. I think, it, you know, going back to our first episode when we talked about that, that is number one thing that you should pay attention to. So, you know, figure out what I'm doing law-wise, and then the next thing I'd do, like, I like going to state parks. So if you can go to state parks, like, typically maintain very well, a lot of open area. And then you just got to find out, you know, timing-wise, when do they open, when they close. Some are time frame based and some are based on sunrise and sunset. So I like the parks. Like, I like hiking around. I like being out in nature. Um, so that's my preference. I mean, there's people that, you know, do metal detecting in the water all the time, you know, around swim holes and stuff like that. And there's all sorts of stuff. I was watching things on YouTube the other day and rings, phones, watches, like, People lose stuff and other people can find it. And then there's companies that actually do recovery. So they'll call like somebody who is an actual uh, finder of lost things who, you know, just uses a metal detector in swim areas. And so there's all different ways you can go with this. And I think it's something very unknown to people. But at the same time, like I said, there's a, a good group of people that do this all the time. And it's fun. You know what? That reminds me, I lost a fantastic pair of Ray-Bans uh, <laughs> when I was paddleboarding just Do this summer. Do they have metal, John? That's uh, I mean, the thing is, I really have thought, like, if I can go down there, and I know exactly where it is. There's a mm-hmm. well-known spot. Uh, it's, it's, it's on the Panhandle of Florida, and it's a, a, a freshwater lake uh, in between kind of the dunes, and, and it connects to a, a state park. 
and I know exactly where it is. If I just had a magnet and a string, <laughs> and it's only about six feet deep, because uh, I could actually touch the bottom, but I bet I could find them. There's and, another type of uh, metal detecting also, just using a magnet. It's called magnet fishing. Um, and so they'll take like a neodymium magnet with a, oh, some sort of cord that's not going to rip or break, and they'll toss that in the water and just keep dragging it up. So there's another thing. That's stuff I like to watch too. Once yeah, I think I'm going to do find that safe, next year. They find year. all sorts of stuff, man. It's all. I, I would be willing to bet that I could open a, a sunglasses <laughs> shop with all the sunglasses <laughs> that have been lost. And I know you're not the only person no, that's no, no. lost sunglasses no, these, or whatever. These guides that were like helping you know people put put the canoes because there there's yeah. kayaks and there's paddle boards and there's yeah. all sorts of stuff. And um they were, when I got back, they were like, yeah, this lake just eats sunglasses. Like yeah. it's just a thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, well-traveled lake. You might be able to find some really slick Beach, stuff. Go to beaches. Like sand's a lot easier to dig than soil. So yeah, that's true. Sand's easy to get into. And that's, you know, where I started out was just going on the beach and looking around and finding random stuff. Yeah. How many, how many stories of lost rings or oh, lost jewelry? Uh, Go to any swimming hole, you're going to find something. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Some popular swimming hole that's been used for a long time, you're going to find stuff. Happens all the time. That's amazing. Well, let's take just a brief moment to uh, to pause for station identification and uh, recognize our sponsors, and we will be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. It's the Lost Treasures podcast. You're here with Adam and me, myself and I. That's right. This is John Scheel. And I'm so happy that you're tuning in. We're talking about finding stuff. And I want to bring back the story, just bring it back to a little bit of our own personal story. So Adam is a known treasure hunter and he's out there doing it, following all the laws. Adam, give me a recap, uh, starting with, uh, you know, we were talking about metal detecting. So Give me a recap, starting with your metal detecting in the Cincinnati area. Mm-hmm. So the process of, you know, getting a metal detecting permit, that was one of the biggest things. So you got a metal detecting permit. That and just to recap for some listeners mm-hmm. who might be just joining us for the first time. So Adam got a metal detecting permit and went metal detecting in a Cincinnati city park. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So that next step after that was, you know, kind of what we discussed a little bit uh, from the first episode. Well, and you got a, you got some hits. Oh with, yes. With your, and you, you told me Four. you got that at Harbor Freight, right? Yes. Just at entry level. It was basic, but the next one I used was a step up. So it was more discriminatory. Um, but you know, I hit the same area with four different metal detectors, all different price ranges. Okay. And it wasn't necessarily a small area, too, but I'm not going to get into all that right now. Yeah, so you were you were kind of all over. I mean, and, and we'll remind folks, you had a permit, and that yes. permit lets you go in for the whole 186 acres of, of yes. the park. Yes, anywhere I wanted to go as long as I had my um, ID and that permit on me. And so when you got some hits with the entry level, is that when you went out and got another one, or did you go uh, to, to actually hire a company to... Uh, Talk to that, um, one of the companies that I used for something that was far better than mine. I thought that was the next pretty precise step to really just get another confirmation. So just all I'm trying to do, the whole process is just build evidence, right? So I'm kill- continuing to build confirmations and then using most of these scientific processes that I learned um, to confirm this without you know going straight through the ground and digging everything up. Yeah, gotcha. Just because, of course, 
since it's city property, there's yep. rules about that, and you can't just go digging and nope. s- just like you can't go digging in somebody's backyard without nope. permission. It's so more, it's even more, um, more of a penalty in a state park. So you know you can trespass in somebody's land, but you're not going out into a park and digging up a relic. So yeah, now and I would advise everyone not to go trespassing. Don't do that. Some, yeah, that, that's gonna that's gonna have you call in my law office Just for follow. a whole different reason. <laughs> and, um, not on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now we do take all sorts of clients at my law firm, <laughs> but that's it. Without any more free advertising, don't break the law. Uh, <laughs> follow Adam's advice and um, do it right. So you just to recap your story. You you did you got some hits, you went and got a more sophisticated set of metal detectors. Mm-hmm. You got somebody who is an experienced operator of a very high end metal detector, yes. mm-hmm. and I think what their words were: "Hey, this warrants further investigation." That's exactly what he said. And then after that, um, you decided to bring in a historical archaeologist and yep. an archaeology firm, right? Yep. And I hope she's uh, on the show here shortly. So that will be a, a nice episode just to get her perspective on her background, career, what she's good at, what she enjoys, you know, inside and outside of working for Graham Pate. Yeah, I really love that. I, I really do. Uh, there's so many things, um, you know, when we're talking about east of the Mississippi that uh, have been, you know, well-traversed properties that, you know, have been uh, utilized for, for really hundreds of years, uh, even, you know, pre-colonial days, yeah. uh, where there there's all sorts of truly treasure uh, that's, that's there. And uh, as we mentioned a little bit, and we'll mention on our TikTok something uh, we, we like to joke around about, the cultural pee. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're not talking about your grandfather's urine. We're talking about um, your the cultural patrimony. So there's Native American stuff uh, that that's there. Um, and then there's stuff from colonial days and pre-colonial days where uh, settlers and trappers, um, you know, from Jamestown on uh, could mm-hmm. have uh, left left their mark. And really, a lot of that belongs to the town uh, where it's found. So. Yep. That's what uh, we're hoping is that we're finding stuff that will go into museums and enrich yeah. the cultural patrimony and the history of the area uh, so that, you know, our legacy can be shared by future generations. And it's not my intention to keep any of these things that I find. Um, I've already, you know, me and you had talked about this, me and Shane had also talked about this. You know, the stuff belongs in a museum. And so that's going to be the goal. And so whether I have to work with the city on that or do it myself, um, the goal will be to make sure everybody can see these things. Yeah. Now we're mentioning Shane, but Shane is our uh, Shane is our lawyer dealing with the right of entry permits, and that's kind of where you're at right now, right? Yeah. Um, so we're on to our very last one. So we're just waiting on that approval side. Um, this is the primary part of this, the excavation side. So working through the details with the archaeologists, but uh, Shane's kind of in charge. I'm I'm kind of more of like a conduit now. Just go in between and, you know, just try to make sure things are done the way I want them done. So yeah, well, and we did we did sort of skip a step. So mm-hmm. we when you brought in the historical archaeologist, yes. they did a ground penetrating radar study yes. mm-hmm. early and, May. And what uh, what were their words, their findings? Uh, the best, I mean, conclusion I could have gotten to. Uh, I had found one cavity, and they found three cavities actually, uh, undisclosed. There was not a disclosed depth in those cavities just due to the antenna that they used and some of the soil's conditions at the time. So those, you know, there's so many scientific details that I could get into, but those things affect, you know, what you're looking for. But it was just another 
confirmation that I've just been racking up the whole time. And so that's what I wanted. And wasn't there some restatement, this warrants excavation? 100%. And so that was like one of the largest cavities I found was five and a half feet by 2.4 feet. So that specifically said in the uh, conclusion to that whole report um, that this warrants an excavation, especially at this one particular site. So I'm trying to get those done in a you know, sequential order so that um, not only is the city okay with it, but, you know, it works in time frame with the archaeologist too. Now, let me ask you, because mm-hmm. if, if I'm if I'm imagining a five and a half feet mm-hmm. by two feet, yep. mm-hmm. you know what that sounds like to me? What? Now, I know we're starting to get into the fall, and I don't want to get too <laughs> spooky, but five and a half feet by two feet mm-hmm. sounds a lot like a grave to me. Yeah, and that's what you could think too, but since the depth's undisclosed, so the the depth at what they stopped was almost four and a half feet deep, and they don't know the how deep it goes down to. So that's only the f- distance that their uh, antenna and their GPR could, could penetrate. So most of these um, cavities that I found uh, were all undisclosed depth because of the antenna that was used. But again, the biggest thing that she, the biggest thing the report said was, man-made truncated cavity. Well, let's let's just brainstorm here for a second. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if this were a grave, uh-huh. would you have to call the coroner? Yes. Mm-hmm. So part of this to any body that you would find, that's an instant call, right? So they've actually explained that to me out in the field when we were doing the, the GPR because they had encountered quite a few burials in their time. And I'm sure when Cinder comes on here, she's going to tell us all about that process. But yeah, that is, you're exactly right, John. That is the first phone call you have to make when you find a body. I just don't believe where this was located in this part of the woods that it's a grave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's well, just no way you could get to it. It just seems amazing that uh, as we, you know, I'm hearkening back to when we were talking to Greg Hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, if you haven't heard that episode, you need to go back and check it out. And also check out his uh his stand-up history, which is sort of a live performance stand-up historical discussion, uh, he will be doing that uh, coming up here in um, in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to bring up some details. We'll put that on our web. And check um, out his book, too. His oh, my gosh. Really cool. Cincinnati I Curiosities. What a over wonderful. Over and over. Yep. It's yeah, really cool. Really is. a great guy. The one thing, though, that he brought up over and over again is that there are uh, dead people. Everywhere. Yes. A <laughs> lot of um, bodies have been uncovered in Cincinnati. And so that's from potentially mound builder civilization, pre-colonial, like we were talking about, uh, the Turpin Farm site. I mean, he they told us 500 bodies they found, I think, a couple years ago or something like that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I do know, I remember... Uh, Greg talking about this little area that's in uh, in Cincinnati near a, a subdivision, or it's not really a subdivision, it's sort of an area of town called Hyde Park, and where Hyde Park meets kind of Oakley, and mm-hmm. uh, that there's this triangle of land that's kind of right now, it's just sort of in between a couple of roads, and uh, him saying that underneath the grass there, there's quite a few, because it used to be a cemetery, Yeah, and now you wouldn't even know. I mean, yeah. I've spent my entire life driving past that, I and know. I have not known that there's a bunch of dead people buried right there. <laughs> Most people don't know what's under their feet. That's yeah. what I'll say. And so going to any of these parks, I mean, where I grew up in Iowa, there were mounds all over the place in this little park that was by my house. There, We were always told, you know, obviously don't go and dig there. <laughs> like It's it's definitely a crime if you go to this park and dig stuff up. So. Wow. So 
let's just say you're metal detecting and you find you you get a hit mm-hmm. and you end up digging and you find some jewelry mm-hmm. that is actually attached to some bones. Got to call first thing if you're in the city, you got to call the city. But if you're at your house, you got to call the corner. So, okay, yeah. and then who gets to keep the jewelry if it's if it's on your property? Um, if it's on your property, I believe that is think the law it says it's yours but depending on there's a couple different factors that go into that too um i know the ohio history connection that's you know part of the the state's uh i believe it's the state archaeology board um they sometimes have to get involved also and depending on the age again you know that's where it's the best thing to do is ask the right person get a lawyer involved if you need to not trying to plug you john or shane <laughs> but at the same time like that was one of my best decisions that i made was finding a good legal team and that's what you guys are well we we appreciate it and certainly Definitely. thank you all for the free advertising. <laughs> um, we want to tell the story of finding new stuff. So definitely call us and or send us an email. Um, you're going to find us on, on the web, all sorts of places, all over the social media. We want to talk about finding lost treasure and we want to hear about your lost treasure. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's kind of where we're at right now. We've got kind of a pause in your story, but I know there's lots of others out there. Oh yeah. And With that, I think we're going to pause for station identification. We'll come back in just a little bit and wrap up another episode of the Lost Treasures podcast. We really appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. So come on back with us in just a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm John Scheel. I'm Adam Means. And you're listening to the Lost Treasures Podcast. We have been talking about finding stuff with metal detectors, all sorts of cultural patrimony, and the rules about metal detecting and finding things today. We hope that you're learning something. We also hope you're entertained. If you want to hear us uh, talk about a particular topic or if you want to be on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. Definitely. Please reach out. Like everybody's got a story and uh, each state has its own little treasure tale. So do some research, give us a call, and then we can go from there. Yeah. And bottom line, keep hunting for that lost treasure. Definitely. It's out there, and uh, we want to hear your stories. It's it's so much fun. I think it's great to wrap up this episode reminding you that the reason that gentleman in, in uh, Norway found the stuff is just because his doctor said, hey, you know, you got to get a hobby. And, and do um, something. Get out there and do something. <laughs> and if you if you're not one of these folks that just likes hiking for the sake of hiking, maybe bring along a metal detector and see what you can find. You never know. There's even if it's just you know a lost Rolex. You know there's there's stuff out there. Uh, it doesn't have to be fifteen hundred year old jewelry. It could right. be mm-hmm. could be someone's diamond ring. And maybe you could make somebody's whole day by finding something that they lost. Uh, I know that if someone had been there with a metal detector when I lost my Ray-Bans, uh, if they had been able to get those <laughs> back to me that day, oh Ray-Bans. my gosh, that would have made my day. Um, <laughs> so, awesome. you know, spread a little joy and enjoy nature, enjoy the outdoors, have a hobby, and uh, and then write to us and talk to us about it. Call in. We'll do some call-in shows Definitely. in the next couple of weeks. So We're going uh, to have a couple. Uh, we have a guy that we're going to have from uh, Instagram on here at some point uh, down in Arizona. And so uh, he's got some pretty cool stuff on his page, so I'm interested to talk to him. 
Oh, I love it. I love it. This is great. There's a whole community of treasure hunters and geocachers out there. We're going to talk about geocaching as well in the next couple of weeks. So that's sort of more of an organized treasure hunt. But in the meantime, keep searching for lost treasures. And thanks for tuning in. Once again, I'm John Scheel. I'm Adam Means. And this is the Lost Treasures Podcast. <laughs>